0: Hey, everybody, this is Brian Zimmerman, digital content editor of Jazz's Magazine, here to introduce another episode of Jazz's Not What You Think. We're gonna get into it in a minute, but first I'd like to thank this episode's sponsors. They include Cobuzz.com, the world's largest catalog of streaming music and studio quality high res. You can stream all of your music in the highest possible quality, starting at just $9.99 per month. Visit onkobuzcom slash jazz's to learn more. Thanks also to Prayer. Star Records. They've got a new album out right now by vocalist Patrice Jegu. It's called If This Ain't Love, and you can check it out online at patricejegu.com. That's P-A-T-R-I-C-E-J-E-G-O-U. Com. All right, joining Jazz's publisher Michael Fagan on the podcast today is Steve Tyrell, a record producer and vocalist whose soulful interpretations of jazz standards, Disney tunes, holiday classics, and R&B anthems have gained him a wide and passionate fan base the world over. Born in Texas in 1944, Tyrell got his start in the music industry at a very early age, becoming the head of A&R and promotions at Scepter Records in New York City when he was just 18. By the following year, he was producing hits for Burt Bacharach, Hal David, and Dionne Warwick, among many others. And after contributing hits to a string of movies in the 1990s, including some of my favorites, Mystic Pizza and That Thing You Do, Tyrell would record another major coup when his version of The Way You Look Tonight was featured in the 1991 movie Father of the Bride, featuring Steve Martin. Tyrell has recorded a dozen albums as a leader, including a compilation of Disney standards in 2006 and a program of Burt Bacharach music called Back to Bacharach in 2008. His most recent album is A Song for You, which features tributes to singer-songwriters like Van Morrison and Leon Russell. It's a fascinating interview, and I know you're going to love it. For lots more jazz content, become a Jazz's subscriber. Right now, you can receive three months of access to Jazze's.com plus one print issue for just 99 cents per month. Check out Jazze's.com to learn more. All right, that's enough from me. Let's go ahead and get into this interview between Jazz's publisher, Michael Fagan, and vocalist, Steve Tyrell.
1: And following your career for a while I mean I I know that uh, you're you're a Texan I guess and, uh, but you well,
2: yeah I mean I, I was born in Texas and I grew up and went to high school in Texas but I left Texas right after high school and moved to New York and worked there for I don't know 10 or 15 years and then and then and then moved to California I've been to California for 40
1: years so wow. I don't know what I am <laughs> I bet well, you can
2: never, you're always a Texan if you're born there.
1: You yeah, I, I hear the twang.
2: <laughs>
1: well, the, you know, the, the, for those who, that are listening that have heard your music, but may not know the story, I, I was always impressed, mesmerized that, you know, you started in this business as a teenager working in the A&R department of a record label.
2: Right. Um, that, was really my, that was really my second. Job. I started in a band, you know, mm-hmm. in Texas in high school, and I even made a couple of records when I was like a junior and senior in high school. And one of them became a hit down there and got and and, and got leased to a major label as an artist. Uh, and I had a couple of records like that before I went to New York and started to become an A and R man. You know, wow. I was first first a singer in a band and then that
1: but early on from what i read you uh i recall that you met some pretty influential people like burt Bacharach and hal david well, that,
2: yeah that's when i moved to new york i went to work i got a job when i was 19 working for a company called scepter records and it was an independent rhythm and blues type label and we had the shirelles and we had the Osley brothers and and uh, in, we had Dion Warwick, and we had these two writers, Bert Backrack and Hal David, who were writing the songs for Dion Warwick and uh, producing their records. And that was really the beginning of my real professional career. Uh, the first two people I ever met—it was during the bill Building era, you know. Mm-hmm. First two people I ever met there was Carol King and Jerry Gotham, who had uh, written "Will You Love Me Tomorrow" for the Shirelles. That was on that label. So. Yeah, those were pretty influential people and great songwriters, too.
1: Yeah, so five five decades, I guess, later, you've been a songwriter, a producer, uh, certainly a vocalist. uh, But you produced, you created, I guess, a lot of hits for some pretty big pop artists.
2: Yes, yeah. I mean, Linda Ronstadt and uh, her record somewhere out there from American Tale. I started working on movies when I was a kid, really working with Bert and Hal, they got movie jobs, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, they wrote Alfie for a movie. They wrote The Look of Love for a movie. And, of course, they wrote Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head for a movie. And I had brought and signed my buddy B.J. Thomas to the label. Mm-hmm. And so I got a taste of, of working on a film. We also did a film called Valley of the Dolls and uh, we had a song in that that Dion Warwick sang. So early on in my career I saw how you could put music in movies and and how it could really affect the outcome of whether a record would be successful or not, you know? Mm-hmm. So when I when I moved out to California, kind of everybody from that era at one time ended up in California. Carol King moved out there and Barry Man and Cynthia Wile and Jerry Goff, and all of us ended up out, all the old brother, Jer- Jeff Barry, Lieber and Stoller, all of, the, of us ended up in uh, L.A., and Barry and I decided we'd start a music supervision company, and we'd offer our talents out to uh, films and see if they would hire us for, to be music supervisors, hmm. and um, that led to some good stuff. Barry Mann and Cynthia Wall, of course, are were my partners and Barry and Cynthia, two of the greatest songwriters that ever lived. You know, Sure, are sure. they're, they're in the hall, every kind of hall and hall of fame that you can be in.
1: Well, you, and, you 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 paid your dues, that's for sure. And but it seemed to me like you really hit the artery uh, with the uh, Father of the Bride movie with the, that featured uh, Steve Martin.
2: Right. I mean, but that was his accident. You know, I mean, I I did worked on several movies. I right? did a movie called Mystic Pizza, uh, yeah. and I sang in that movie. I did I sang in the in the opening of a movie called The Client, mm-hmm. you know, which was a big big movie. But I used to, I was the music supervisor, so I'd be in in charge of the music. And every once in a while, an opportunity would come up where I would suggest something for the film, and in some cases sing the demo of it so they could see what i was talking about and that's what happened with father the bride they wanted uh, uh, a nancy myers and charles shire who made that film wanted to see if they could if i could come up with a sentimental version of the way you look tonight for the band to play at the reception when steve martin sees his daughter dancing for the first time with their new husband and they ask it i make could we make that song sentimental Well, sinatra's was swinging you know Mm-hmm. Someday. You know, it was mm-hmm. like that. So Bob Mann, who's been working with me for since 1972 and a great arranger and co-producer, I talked to him about it. He's in my band and he was also in Linda Ronstadt's band and James Ingram, you know, I mean, in uh, James Taylor. So Bob came up with this feel that we that we did and I played it for them at the set and uh to say so was this kind of what you're talking about excuse me and i was singing it so they said well who's that guy singing i said well that's me (laughs) and they said well you know on the demo and they said well you got to be in the movie man i said well let me check with my agent (laughs) (laughs) And, and it was a total accident i sang it in the movie it went over so well when we shot it like all the extras it was the reception scene so Every, it was the biggest day of the movie, Father of the Bride, because it had all the actors, people from Disney, you know, 100 extras, you know, and everybody came up to me when we were shooting it and said, God, that's a great song. Did you write that song? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I said, no. And it, it, you could tell that it was very well received in that scene. So I suggested to the director... Charles Shire I said why don't you put this song over the end of the movie too we had another song in mind and reprise it and let me get Ray Charles I even mentioned Rod Rod who wasn't doing any Rod wasn't making standards records but I could hear his voice on that song I said why don't you get Rod Stewart or, or Ray Charles to sing it over the end of the movie and I'll produce it and um they ended up using my version in the in the temp track, you know, when they previewed the movie. Mm-hmm. They just took my version and put it over the end where I had suggested with the intention that it would be somebody else. And they got such good reaction that they finally said, why don't you do it over the end too? And I did, and uh, changed my life, <laughs> basically.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, fast forward a couple of years, you know, it's funny. You've been compared to a lot of... Younger singers who have come after you that haven't had the the experiences, the the work, the the production that you have, like like a Curtis Tigers or a, a someone like a Michael Blueblay or or right. even I I've, I've seen comparison with with Michael Franks, uh, Peterson, Connie.
2: Well, those uh, are all good guys. I mean, I love Michael Franks and oh. I love Michael Blueblay. He's a great guy. His mo- his mother. Became a big fan of this song and the Father of the Bride. Michael told me that he put it on his first album, mm-hmm. and uh, th- that album, my first album, in you know, really kind of influenced a lot of people in the Great American Songbook. And I, it really, I had an idea. And if you go get a new standard and you check it out, my concept was to make modern arrangements of these songs, mm-hmm. but to have the, the the great old soloists that were still around play the solos and i got clark terry and harry sweets edison and plaz johnson and uh toot steelmans and all those guys did the solos on those these songs wow and uh yeah it's quite a it, it's quite a, a something that i'm very proud of because clark terry of course ended up playing on like 14 of my tracks and it, it created a different style and a lot of people picked up on it Michael Buble's mother told me that when he got a D, he heard that album and Rod heard that album. And a lot of people heard that album and it influenced them to want to do the Great American Songbook. And Michael's mother said to me that, she told him if he didn't put The Way You Look Tonight on the album, I mean.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, I I was talking to Michael a, a while back and when he, I remember when with his first big hit, everything, um, I said, So, are you done with jazz? And he said, Absolutely not. I love singing standards. Uh, and it's the
2: best it, music. Yeah, go ahead. It's the no, best I, music ever. I've, you do too. <laughs> it's nothing compares to it, really. These songs are like, you know, national treasures, and they will be around as long as somebody new sings them because they just they they become new all over again Mm -hmm. you know that's what makes them so great they're open to anybody you know they're open to creative interpretations you don't have to it's wrong to do them the same way you've heard them Mm -hmm. you know like if you go listen to a a, you know sinatra was the first to do this he rescued most of these songs that's what i say most of a lot of them i mean sammy khan wrote a lot for him but a lot of the songs the Gershwin's and Cole Porter were written years before Frank Sinatra did them, but once he did them, they became standards forever. Mm-hmm. And as long as people continue to do these songs, they will continue to be popular, and uh, you know, to to every generation. I think.
1: Well, you know, it's it's funny because you know we talk about people being old souls. You're a young soul. You you mm-hmm. you seem a lot younger than you are, and and it's funny too because. You know, I mentioned Michael Franks before. I remember once I was, I actually interviewed Michael Franks. Oh gosh, this was, I wanna say back in the 80s when I was uh, still writing and doing cover stories for Jazz Is. And um, he got the cover story and he called me up immediately and he said, uh, he goes, Michael, I, I, I have a problem with uh, the opening paragraph of my piece. And I said, whoa, whoa, what did I do? What, what's wrong, what, what is it? He goes, well, you, you said I was 54 years old. And I said, well, you are 54 years old, aren't you? He said, yeah, but I don't want anyone to know that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You see, when that happens to me, my response to that is I have set out, this is my 12th album I've made, and I have set out to make timeless recordings that don't have anything to do with your age. I think that these songs, if you do them properly, they can be just as relevant. 25 years from now as they could have been 25 years ago there's mm-hmm. they're timeless songs they're not about age and they're not about they shouldn't be about the age of the guy singing them i don't think
1: mm-hmm. now if
2: you do if you're doing kind of 80s rock or something then you've but that's 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 not you know that's not what i do and that's not what i you know, I I don't ever do. I'm a songwriter, but I never do any of my own songs. You know, yeah. I do I do these songs. It's like a because they are historic, and they shouldn't, in my opinion, they shouldn't be in a setting. You know, they should be in their own setting. Mm-hmm. Although I, this album, I I went to the '70s, uh, I I, you know, because I I don't think that the Great American Songbook stopped in the '70s. Uh, I think Van Morrison and in, in, in the 80s, you know, and, in, in, uh, so, you know, some of the writers that went on wrote songs that'll live forever. Even Even You Are Always On My Mind, which is on this album. Uh, that'll be a standard. Michael Buble did it. Yeah. Willie did it. You know, Elvis, that song was written for Elvis. Wow. Did you
1: know that? No, I did not know that.
2: It was written by some friends of mine, Wayne Carson, who's passed on now, but he wrote the letter. You remember the letter? Yeah. Give me a ticket for an
1: airplane. Mm, I love that song. He,
2: he and Mark James and Johnny Christopher worked in a studio that we worked in in Memphis uh, called American Studios. And uh, I brought B.J. Thomas down there and we recorded Hooked on a Feeling and the Eyes of a New York Woman. And I just can't help believing. and had some very. Good success there before Raindrops, and um, Elvis became friends of ours, and he decided became a friend of ours, and he did because he loved BJ's voice, and he used to invite us to Graceland, and he decided that he was going to record in that studio after all those years, because and he was going to go back to Memphis, and everybody got excited and tried to write some songs, you know, to for the session that Elvis uh, would maybe record. And Wayne Carson, you know, locked himself in a room, <laughs> and it was a, he, like, didn't talk to his wife for two days trying to write, and he finally got her on the phone. And she said, where have you been, man? I've been trying to reach you for two days. <laughs> he said, well, honey, I'm trying to write a song for Elvis. He's coming in, you know, next week to record, and I want to get a song on the album. He said, but you were always on my mind, he told him. (laughs) (laughs) That's what he told me happened, right from the horse's mouth. And then he went back upstairs and got the idea, wrote that song. Elvis did it. Uh, It was a so-so hit. And then 10 years later, Willie Nelson made it a standard, you know?
1: Wow. Well, speaking of the new album, a song for you, uh, uh, like you said, I mean, they're it was Van Morrison, Leon Russell, Jackie Wilson. There, there's a lot of star power that you obviously love. and these mm-hmm. are. Sounds like these are some of your favorite composers and songs.
2: Right, I mixed them together. You know, there's, uh, there, there's, you know, there's that my this album spans songs written from, from you know the 20s all the way to the 80s, and uh, Jackie Wilson, you mentioned him. That was
1: Barry Gordy's
2: first hit. Did you know that? He wrote that with Jackie Wilson.
1: Did not know that either.
2: And I came to I came to that song. I produced an album with Diana Ross. And she wanted to do that song on her album. And she told me that Barry Gordy, that, that was the first hit that he wrote. Before Motown and everything, he wrote it. He, he produced all those Jackie Wilson records. And we called Barry Gordy on the phone and played it for him over the phone.
1: <laughs> wow.
2: And then I did it. And then... I wanted to do. I knew about you were always on my mind, and I wanted to do that. And a song for you, Leon Russell, you know, is one of the great writers of all time in every, uh, every genre, ever, but absolutely, I, I, and musician Paul Buckmaster, one of the great orchestrators. Of oh all yeah, time. so
1: sad we lost him last year. He was he was incredible.
2: Well, this was the last song he ever worked on. Did you saw? Did you know
1: that? No, I didn't know that, but I. I, I'm I, in- I, I He's worked on everyone from David Bowie to Miles Davis. I mean, he was—he right. He was incredible. And he's,
2: and he's been a friend of mine for years. He used to work in my studio. I get—he had a room in my studio, and 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 Paul and I were—you know—I didn't have too many things on my first albums because they were swinging that fit within his style. But this one, a song for you, I thought would be perfect for him, and I gave it to him, and he started working on it. He did about most. Most of passed away the day before we recorded it. Wow. I mean, so then Paul, 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 Paul. It's his last work on this planet. Wow. There's stuff is album if you get into it. You know? Yeah. Uh, also, there, I mean, Leon Russell was born in Tulsa, you know. So that's yes. about as good as you can. If you're not from Texas... That's about as close as you can come. <laughs>
1: Dude, yeah. <God. laughs> those people are okay. <laughs> yeah,
2: right. And well, you know... So I've you, always loved him. And, and Ben Morrison, man, forget yeah. it. I, right. I think this song that opens my album, you know, uh, is about as great a love song as anybody's ever written.
1: Yeah. Somebody like, like you. you. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you um I mean, you sung, you know, standards. You've done... So many different kinds of projects: holiday albums, jazz standards. Um, but you seem to gravitate to romance. Yeah, uh, yeah,
2: well, that's that's the common thread, man. You know, and it, it, it definitely is a common thread in this album. All the songs are love songs, mm-hmm. and all of my first albums, uh, most of the songs were love songs. You know, I mean, there's something to be said for sad slash slash your wrist songs too but, <laughs> but i haven't gotten to that point yet you know i'm not uh, not that unhappy oh well songs that make you feel good you know
0: hey it's brian again with just a few more words on kobuz now you might already know that kobuz offers the biggest catalog of hi-fi and high-res albums in the world both for new releases and specialized genres but for hundreds of thousands of albums kobuz also includes all the information you need to recreate the appeal of a real cd we're talking the names of musicians the producers the lyrics there's everything you need to know to appreciate your favorite albums Kobuz is compatible with all types of audio equipment and also provides advice on your hi-fi equipment purchases. Not only that, but every week, CoBuzz publishes interactive articles that widen your musical knowledge. And you can even download these high res files to listen to in offline mode, so you can enjoy your music even when you're offline. Subscriptions to CoBuzz start at just $9.99 per month. Again, visit cobuzz.com, that's q-o-b-u-z.com to learn more. All right, let's get back to the interview
1: well you know the uh a lot of people are streaming music these days and one of the things that i really uh, enjoyed seeing that is that you have uh the new album a song for you it's actually available on uh, high de- high definition, you know, real good quality streaming on HD tracks, which, you know, I think that's kind of the future when people really enjoy music like yours. They're going to want to listen to it with high fidelity that you may not get with MP3. Yeah,
2: you know, that's what, uh, well, that's what people used to do with this music. You know, big goes with Macintosh amps, and, yeah. and uh, it goes with this music. It goes with the... You know, that kind of quality goes, analog really goes. And some of these songs were originally recorded analog, too. I mean, mm-hmm. like there's a few jewels in, uh, like, a Come Rain or Come Shine, was it, John? No. Their Eyes. Their Eyes was an analog recording uh, that, that, that I had started in my studio in Sun Sunset. Back when they had tape recorders, you remember them? There was a, they were they were like they had two spools and. They I
1: remember around. them. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'm old enough to remember those. The, uh, but to, yeah. so in your in your work with in doing live performance, I mean, you you obviously you've been a, a mainstay at the Carlisle, at the Colony in, in Palm Beach, but you've also done big shows at the Hollywood Bowl and Carnegie Hall. Tell me about the right. differences of performing in front of a large audience versus, you know, how your music is probably better perceived in an intimate setting.
2: I think it works both times. It's all about that night, man. You know, yeah. it's like wherever you, people say, "Where do you like to play?" and I say, "Wherever I'm playing that night." <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> because it's 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 just no comparing anything really. You want to go? It's live. Y'all got a great bunch of musicians that have been with me. I have some great arrangements. So when I play with orchestras, you know, that just energizes everything. All of a sudden, you know, there's um, 75 guys up there playing the same song you played with last night that had four guys playing it, you know? And and it, it, it it's an organic thing of live performance that's between you, you the band, the sound you're hearing, and the audience. Mm-hmm. And every night is different. Every night is different, you know? So I like all of them. I just want to be good that night.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of musicians on on your new album, uh, there are a lot of, you know, studio musicians who are, you know, I I haven't seen them in a while and they're the best of the best, you know, Leland Sklar on bass, Russ Kunkel Mm -hmm. on drums. These are guys I used to listen to when I listened to James Taylor and pop music from the 70s.
2: Lee is out with uh, Phil Collins right now. You know, I mean, these are friends of mine that we have been working together since the seventies. You know, and uh, and they're just great musicians. John Robinson's on this album. He yeah. even had a couple of tracks that I put on this album uh, with uh, Johnny Garan playing drums. Wow! I'm always I'm always recording. You know, so yeah. I have stuff that. You know, maybe I didn't finish or I started out and it didn't fit on whatever Uh, that have like like Johnny Guerin is one of the great drummers of all time.
1: Absolutely. And
2: and he's on this album, one of the great jazz drummers. And I was uh, was
1: just talking about him the other day with Michael McDonald. Uh, Yeah. uh, It's uh, yeah, he's he's tremendous. So switching gears for a second. um, Tell me about Steve Tyrell, the DJ.
2: Oh, yeah. Now, that, man, I'm loving that, by the way. I forgot about that. Yeah. A couple of years ago, Saul Levine came to me, who's been a fan of my music since I started, basically, and said, hey, man, would you consider doing a show for my station, K-Jazz, in Los Angeles, which I love that station. I mean, I think, I mean, for me, that's what I listen to, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and I said, well, you know, what kind of show? He said, well, you could basically... Do whatever you want. You probably pay more vocals than the rest of the station, because you're a vocalist. I mean, they don't need to listen to you for bebop all day long, you know. Mm -hmm. So I try. I tried to mix in what I thought I'd like to listen to, and it's been a blessing to me because it gave me a chance to go back, and and listen and dig up people I love, like Etta James, that I don't hear that often. Sure. You know. Uh, all the way to Nancy Wilson and, and Dinah Washington and, and all the way up to uh, Annie Lennox and Aretha. And so I play all my favorite singers. I go dig up what they, you know, it gives me a chance to listen to their music, which I haven't concentrated, I've always loved it, but I haven't concentrated on listening and checking out all their albums. And I play everybody from you know, Coltrane and Miles to Steely Dan. Cause I think that's, a, I think that's a format that people, you know, are interested in.
1: I think it's a radio station we've all been waiting for.
2: I do too. Honestly, I hate to say that, but I, I mean, I think my show is a combination of music that everybody should like. And it's, it is of the highest quality too, you know, Nat King Cole and, uh, Chaka Khan be back to back sometimes, you know, wow,
1: that's great. and, uh,
2: and, and why not? Right.
1: No, I play Michael,
2: I play Michael Buble. I play, I try to mix it around. Johnny Pizzarelli, uh, but all the greats, man, I play Otis him cook all the time, uh, Ray Charles every day, you know,
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope, I hope you're playing, uh, a, a lot of Steve Tyrell as well.
2: Well, I play like one I, – I have a theme song that the station picked that opens the show, Sunny Side of the Street, that I sang in the Father oh, yeah. of the Bride movie. But but then I try to play one more. I don't think anybody wants to be playing all my songs all day long. <laughs> you know? Hey, man, get out of here, you know. That's but like so I've my- got to play –
1: That reminds me of when my editors think that I I talk too much about myself when I write. So,
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah, no, you can't. I don't know. I think I play one more. Like usually in the middle hour, I'll play something of mine. But man, it gives me a chance to talk about things of even of my own, like like I told you, Clark Terry played on fourteen of my tracks, and I can talk about it. Yeah. and uh and, and, and there's a home for that music you know that I could talk about and play and play two stillman played on lots of my stuff I those know. are some some of the greatest musicians that ever lived you know
1: yeah they, they were
2: and they're yeah. all gone jo, Joe sample uh, and, you know love- he he's on all my albums and he he's my son's godfather rest of
1: Wow, Joe! Joe was
2: Joe was, Joe was
1: Joe was the best. Definitely. Yeah, I, I, I was. I was with Bob James. This around, week we were talking about Joe. Uh,
2: we went. We, uh, we 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 just did a jazz cruise, and uh, and and everybody on the cruise, we all got got into Joe sample uh, conversations. Yeah. Who was it that did Joe so good? Oh, and Marcus Miller, man. Mar- if right, you ever see Marcus, yeah, get him to sample for you. <laughs> yeah. We watched the Super Bowl together, and we were on this jazz cruise together. And he jumped, and when he heard that Joe and I were raised on the same street, he jumped into a a whole Joe sample impersonation that was the best I've ever heard, and I I filmed it, man. It was so good. <laughs> I said, Marcus, you got to do that again, man.
1: <laughs> yeah you know you know it's funny we all have great joe sample stories i can't even talk about mine on the air uh, <laughs> but he would he No, was... i
2: hear you man i hear you
1: but uh well the steve tyrell's new album a song for you uh get it either on cd or on hd tracks or go to steve com. steve it was great to have you on the show
0: And that'll do it for today's episode. Just want to thank a few more sponsors here. They include Smoke Sessions Records. They've got a new album out right now by George Coleman. It's called The Quartet. You can learn more at SmokeSessionsRecords.com. Thanks also to Blue Note Records, currently celebrating their 80th anniversary with a bunch of cool musical initiatives. To check out everything they've got going on, visit BlueNote.com. Another thanks to ECM Records. They have a new album by Enrico Rava and Joe Lovano out right now. Visit ecmrecords.com to learn more. And thanks to the online streaming service, Deezer. We regularly curate playlists on this platform. To check out our latest, visit Deezer.com and search for Is. Jazzradio.com, featuring more than 35 channels of curated jazz music for free online, is another one of our sponsors. Visit jazzradio.com to check it out. Thanks also to the New Jersey Performing Arts Center in Newark, New Jersey. On the calendar for them in November, a performance by Chaka Khan. It's taking place November 14th. For tickets and more info, visit njpac.org. That's njpac.org. And another big thanks to the Angel City Jazz Fest, taking place October 2nd through the 13th. That's coming right up in Los Angeles, California. Check them out at angelcityjazz.com. Big thanks also to Jazz at Lincoln Center, one of New York's premier jazz venues. They've got a great lineup in September, October, November, really the whole season. For tickets and more info, visit jazz.org. And thanks also to Quest TV, the world's first subscription video on-demand platform dedicated to jazz and beyond. It's been called the Netflix of jazz. Be sure to check it out at quest.tv. That's Q-W-E-S-T TV. And finally, thanks to the U.S. Navy Band Commodores Jazz Ensemble, currently celebrating their 50th anniversary. They've got concert dates around the country. If you want to catch them in action, visit our website and click the Navy Band Commodores banner. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode. Like I said, thanks for listening, everyone. Do us a favor. Check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to leave a five-star rating. It really helps. So long, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye.